Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. Ephesians 5, 23. The letter of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest in Rome, and he wrote it to lay a solid doctrinal foundation for these believers so they could then live out those doctrines for the glory of God. We're now in the heart of the application section of this letter, and it's been very challenging. (laughs) And the call is to rise to the challenge because this is who we are, and this is what we do more and more. And love for Christ compels us to continue on in our quest to honor Him with our fast and fading life. Recently, Paul's been imploring us to be Spirit-filled Christians who do the will of God as found in the Word of God. Generally, that's seen in many ways, but specifically and in context, Paul has told us that God's will for us in Christ is to be filled with the Spirit, to sing in the heart and out loud, to give thanks always for all things, and then to submit to one another in the fear of God. Last time, Paul had a word for Spirit-filled wives who are doing the will of God, and today we begin to see what a Spirit-filled husband looks like. First, just by way of reminder, the call for wives was to submit to their husbands. Remember that? Uh, The word for submit is the Greek word hupotasso, and it means to line up under, to arrange under, and to rank under. This word was originally used as a military term that spoke of soldiers giving up their rights to those in authority over them, where they just humbled themselves and willingly submitted to the one in authority. That's the call here for wives. Titus 2.4 tells us that older women are to train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their own husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. 1 Peter 3.1 tells wives to be submissive to your own husbands. And please note that Peter says to do this even if your husband is disobedient to the Word, because your godly behavior might be the thing that brings him to Christ. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then here in Ephesians, it says it yet again. And so this command for wives is everywhere. Now remember, submission doesn't mean that a wife becomes a slave. Submission doesn't mean that a wife never opens her mouth, never has an opinion, and never gives any advice. Submission doesn't mean that the wife becomes a wallflower who folds up and allows her abilities to go by the wayside. Submission doesn't mean that the wife becomes a doormat for the husband, not at all. Instead, submission indicates that it's the wife's responsibility to make herself submissive. See, this is a command for the wife to submit willingly and to submit lovingly. It's a call to do this because you desire to as a choice that you make as a woman of God. Also, submission is to be the constant lifestyle of the wife, not just when it's convenient. Also, as we saw... The wife's submission to her husband isn't to be conditioned by her husband's abilities, talents, wisdom, education, or spiritual state. No, because regardless of that, her call is to submit. On top of that, submission emphasizes what the wife should do, not what the wife shouldn't do. And then finally, submission involves the wife's attitudes as well as her actions. See, it's an inner quality of gentleness and godliness that affirms the leadership of the husband. If you remember, this is all to be done as to the Lord, which means that wives will answer to God for how well they submit to their husbands. Please remember that a wife's submission only goes so far as it glorifies God. 
And if submitting to your husband would mean that you wouldn't glorify God, then you can't submit, and that's the qualifier, right? If your submission to your husband would be a clear sin against God and His Word. But in everything else that isn't a sin, as as much as possible, for the glory of God, wives are called to submit to their husbands knowing that God is watching you, and knowing that God sees you, and knowing that God will reward you for honoring Him And for doing what he wants you to do as a spirit-filled wife. And so you submit to your husband as an act of love to the Lord. So all that said, let's move on to the husbands. How about that? Wives, get your elbows ready. Be sparing. Be gentle. Be kind. But here we go. This is just the beginning. Ephesians 5.23. The husband is a head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he's a savior of the body. As we saw last week, verses 22 through 24 are primarily dealing with wives. However, verse 23 says something that's vitally important, I believe, for husbands. What's it say? That the husband is the head of the wife, and this is extremely important to understand. The word head is a Greek word, kephale, and it's the word that's used for a literal head as well as someone who's in a position of authority and leadership. In this context, Paul is telling us that it's the husband who's to be the godly head of the family, the the, the godly leader of the family, with the wife then being in godly submission to him. Now please remember that men and women are equal, right? Absolutely equal in God's eyes in value and in dignity, but they are also different, and we recognize that. They have different roles as designed by God. So this isn't saying that women are less important or that women aren't equal to men or that men are in any way superior to women, not at all. It's talking about the role relationship which God has established for husbands and for wives in the Bible. So in the partnership of two spiritually equal human beings, husband and wife, the husband as the head bears the primary responsibility to lead the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. He's to be the leader because God gave him that role. And just as a head gives direction to the body, just as a head leads the body, just as a head has authority over the rest of the body, so too does a husband has, have headship over the wife. In 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says that he doesn't permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And this, of course, is speaking of the office of pastor, elder, or teacher within the setting of the church. Note that this isn't a prohibition against women from teaching in other appropriate situations where this principle isn't violated. But the simple truth is this, that God wants men to lead in the church and God wants men to lead in the home. Why? Verse 13. Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. See, the first reason for male headship in the church and in the home is the order of creation. Adam was created first, and Adam was given original authority on the earth, and to God, this order means something very significant. That men in the church are to lead and shepherd the flock as unto the Lord, and that husbands in the home are to lead and shepherd his wife and family as unto the Lord. And this is the way that God created us. Now to us, the order of creation might not seem like it's a big deal, but to God it is. The Bible says that it is. This matters to God. Look at this. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. What does that mean? I mean, does the Bible blame Eve for plunging the human race into sin? 
Does, does the Bible blame Eve for doing that? No, no, no. In fact, the Bible never blames Eve for the fall of the human race. Scripture always blames who? Adam. Why? Romans 5.12. Through one man, sin entered the world. Why ultimately blame Adam and not Eve? Here's why. Because there was a difference of authority. That's why. Because Adam had an authority that Eve didn't have, he also had a responsibility that Eve didn't have as the head. And that's why Adam is ultimately blamed. However, Paul makes it a point to note that Eve was deceived by the serpent, and that first deception is used to show the importance of men leading in a God-honoring way and of women submitting in a God-honoring way. Why? Because when that happens, then things just work correctly. And when it doesn't happen, then sin happens, generally speaking. The point is this. Men are to be the leaders of the church. Men are to be the leaders in the home. And this leadership, this headship, is by divine design. And just so you know that this isn't a cultural thing, look, the Apostle Paul takes us back to creation to prove it. Adam was formed first. And that wasn't a mistake. No, this is the way God made us. Biblically, men are the heads. So men, how are you doing? You say, well, that sounds good, but what does it mean? Well, it clearly means that you're to lead your wife in a God-honoring, spirit-filled, Christ-centered way. I mean, every husband finds himself in a position of inescapable leadership. And look, he, he can't refuse to lead because that's not an option for him. And if he gives up that responsibility, which is extremely cowardly, then he's in rebellion to God and he's going to be held accountable for that. No, husbands must lead the wives because that's the role that God gave to the husbands. Okay, got it, got it, I see it. It's, the Bible's clear about that. But, but how? Okay, like Christ. Oh, is that all? Like Christ. Husbands, you're called to lead the church, uh, lead your family and your wife like Christ leads the church. What a calling is that? Look what Paul says. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And that means that just as Christ led the church, so too are husbands called to lead their wives. In verse 25, Paul says that just as Christ loved the church, so too are husbands called to love their wives. And we're going to get to that later on. And the call is to love and to lead like Christ does. This is massive. But it is our calling. So husbands, your leadership in the home is to mimic Christ's leadership over the church. So how did Christ lead? Oh, here's a few observations. One, he led by example. He didn't just say how you ought to live, but he showed it in his own life, right? He didn't just uh, tell men that they ought to pray, but he was a man of prayer himself and he showed it. He didn't just talk about being faithful and trusting of God, but he himself was faithful and he submitted to the Father's will in absolutely everything. And he was an example of what the disciples were called to be like. He gave the disciples a a pattern to follow after. See, he earned their love and their respect. And he gave them no reason to not respect him, love him, or submit to his authority and to his godly leadership. Husbands, you are called to be like that. So here's a question. Are you a good example? Are you a model, a pattern of godliness, holiness, compassion, dedication, and devotion to God for your wife and for your family? Do you make it easy for your wife to respect you? Is it a joy for her to submit to you because you're a man of God? 
a Christ-like man. Note also that as a leader and head, Jesus was a servant. In John chapter 13, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. Philippians 2.6 says that Jesus humbled himself and made himself of no reputation so he could die to redeem his church. Mark 10.45 says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And look, as husbands, we are called to do the same for our wives and for our families. What's that mean? We're called to be a, the family's biggest servant. That's, that's our call. To, to be humble and to be godly and to be selfless and to be like Christ who stooped to wash dirty, smelly feet. Are you a servant? Look, you're called to be your family's biggest servant and to show them what Christ is like. Note also that Jesus was with those that he led. He, he, he spent time with them. He was a significant part of their lives. He, he didn't just go to work, come home and do his hobby the rest of the evening or play on the computer until bedtime or watch TV without ever really spending quality time with his family. He didn't do that. He was with them in a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting way. Jesus also carefully and purposefully instructed his disciples as their leader. He taught them both formally and informally. And part of being a good leader is teaching those that you are leading in word and in deed. Now, to do that, you need to be learning yourself. To do that, you need to know more than they do. More than those that you're supposed to be teaching. To do this, you need to be growing and thirsting after God. And that's your call as husbands. I mean, how can you lead if you're more spiritually immature than your wife? So, grow up. We've got to grow up. Christ also led his disciples by making decisions and by delegating responsibility to them. Yes, husbands, you and your wife are a team, absolutely 100%, but you are the leader of the team. And ultimate responsibility falls on your shoulders, and this is massive. Note that this doesn't mean that the wife doesn't make any decisions. It simply means that ultimate responsibility falls back onto husbands. I mean, come on, don't micromanage things, especially the home. Don't do that. We have enough things to be concerned about as husbands, as men, eternal things to be concerned about. See, as the head, the leader, that doesn't mean that you have to decide where you're going to eat for dinner every evening, or what color the new carpet needs to be, or what color to paint the walls, or what restaurant to go to, or where to put the furniture. No, decide furniture. Decide together, or better yet, let her do those things. Uh, it would be disaster if I did. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, but, but in the spiritual issues, in the things that will either harm or help the family, in the issues that have real significant eternal ramifications, the responsibility is on you, and that requires godly wisdom and Christ-like leadership. And this is our responsibility as husbands. So, Are you being a good example? Uh, Are you being a godly leader? Are you leading like Christ led the church? See, if you're a hypocrite, then you're a bad leader. If you're a dictator, then you're totally missing the boat. If you're not a servant leader, then you're falling short. If you're not a man of God, then you're not cutting it. If you're not the most spiritual and godly person in your home, then you aren't leading the way God calls you to lead. What a calling. Lord, help us to rise up to this calling. 
How else are we called to lead our wives? Well, Peter has a word for us on this issue. Peter. And I think it's important, as we're talking about leading our wives in a God-honoring way, to look at what Peter has to say. This fits within godly leadership. So, please turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Anybody having fun? All right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Here in 1 Peter, Peter's telling the recipients how to honor and glorify Christ in the midst of a hostile world. Here he's dealing with marriages, and like Paul, he first talks about how wives are to be submissive to their husbands as unto the Lord, and now he deals with husbands. Look at what he says, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is a mouthful here, and In these verses, in this verse, we see two commands for the husband. The first is this, for the husband to dwell with his wife in an understanding way. And this is something that all godly husbands are to do as leaders. Note how the word husband is the first word in verse 7 in our English Bibles. It's also the first word in the Greek which gives emphasis to that word. So <clears throat> there's force here, there's stress here, there's, there's weightiness here. Husbands, he's saying, hey, husbands, wake up. <laughs> husbands, what? Dwell with your wives in an understanding way. Oh, is that all? I mean, Peter's going for the jugular here, isn't he? Yes, he is. dwell with means to live together, to reside together, yes, but it goes deeper than that. This word also speaks of intimacy, of closeness, and of sensitivity. So right from the start, this speaks against the husband and, and wife merely living together where there's no communication, no intimacy, no heartfelt love, no oneness, and it speaks against the husband and wife living together as virtual strangers. See, if that's how you're living then the answer is to rise up, to take the lead, and to change things in your marriage as the husband and as the head. You have to do that. One recent survey revealed that the average husband and wife had 37 minutes a week together in actual communication. 37 minutes! That's devastating! And and that's the exact opposite of what Peter is saying here. Look, dwell with speaks of both sexual and emotional intimacy. It speaks of oneness. It speaks of commitment and a sharing together of each other. And it speaks of deep, deep unity with one another. And husbands, that's how you are to be with your wife. Look, you're to dwell with your wife in an understanding way. Literally, according to knowledge. Knowledge here doesn't just mean to learn, but... To know by experience speaks of practical knowledge, of a knowledge that comes from close study and careful evaluation. And so Peter here says, hey guys, study your wife. Get to know what makes her tick. Figure out how her mind works. Anybody? (laughs) That's our call. (laughs) Find out what her gifts are, what her desires are, what her talents are, what her hopes are, what her dreams are. Know her. Now, why do you think Peter feels the need to say this? Because most men aren't good at this. And that means that most men are bad leaders, and that has to change. Would anyone here agree that men and women are different? Praise the Lord. 
right? Physically, we are different, and emotionally, we are different as well. And, and we're different because God made us that way. We look different. We, we think different. We communicate differently. We process things differently. But, but look, instead of Peter saying, we're different, good luck with that, Peter says, men, deal with those differences. Figure this out. Get to know your wife and meet her where she's at with consideration, love, and relational intimacy. So every husband needs to become an avid student of his wife. That is a command. You need to know her personality, her likes and her dislikes, her needs, her strengths, her weaknesses, her fears, her hopes, her joys, and so on. How many men really, really do this? Sadly, too many would have loved it if Peter had said the opposite. Dwell with your wives according to ignorance. Yes, I'm good at that. (laughs) Just walk in blindness to her deepest needs. Don't look beyond your own selfish desires in your marriage. Focus on yourself, not on her. Don't communicate with her. Don't sacrifice for her. Ignore her. Overlook her. Don't make her feel cherished and, and treasured. Don't take time out to be with her. Dwell in ignorance. Yes, I'm good at that. Peter doesn't say that. If you want to truly honor the Lord and be spirit-filled and do God's will in your life, which should be what every husband who calls himself a Christian should earnestly desire, then you will dwell with your wife in an understanding way more and more and more, regardless of where she's at with the Lord, regardless of her behavior towards you. See, your call remains your call. And while the external blessings that come from obeying God here are absolutely enormous, so are the eternal earthly blessings as well. This kind of behavior changes a woman. It it really does. It affects her. It speaks to her. But regardless of the earthly effect, your call remains your call. How are you doing? That's not all. Because Peter goes on to tell us the husband to honor the wife Honor means to respect, to to show worth and merit to. And this is what godly husband leaders do. It would be safe to say that in the world of Peter's day, wives weren't honored by their husbands, thus Peter's command here. I mean, generally speaking, esteem and value for wives didn't happen in that society, but we in Christ are called to be different, radically different. Note that honoring your wife isn't just a one-time thing uh, 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 or a a once-in-a-while thing. No, but it's to be the lifestyle of the husband, uh, the practice, the the never-ending reality. Some might say, but John, uh, my wife isn't worthy of my honor. What do you mean by that? There are no out clauses here. She's worthy of your honor because she's your wife. She's worthy of your honor Because God says she's worthy of honor. See? So, honor her. That's the call, regardless. That that means that there should be no kind of contempt, spite, disdain, or scorn. means that there should be no kind of disregard, neglect, or slighting. No, your call is to honor her. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Chivalry may be dead, but every Christian husband must be a knight in shining armor who treats his wife like a princess. Do you do that? The husband should treat his wife like an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase in which is a precious treasure. He continues, after they get married, many a husband forgets to be kind and gentlemanly and starts talking to his, uh, starts taking his wife for granted. 
He forgets that happiness in a home is made up of many little things, including the small courtesies of life. He says, honoring your wife means that the husband respects his wife's feelings, thinking, and desires. The husband who's sensitive to his wife's feelings will not only make her happy, but will also grow himself and help his children live in a home that honors God. That's absolutely right. Anybody here convicted besides me? It's absolutely right. This is so very important for us. And it not only affects our own relationship with God, but it affects our relationship with our wives and it affects our relationship with our kids and, I believe, our kids' relationship with the Lord. This has ramifications. So husbands, do you honor your wife? Does she feel like you value her more than the game, your friends, your car, your job, yourself, your phone, your children? Does she feel precious, prized, cherished, honored by you? Or does something need to change? How about this just for some application? Take your wife on a nice date sometimes and be nice to her. (laughs) Talk to her without the game or TV on. Tell her you love her. Hug her. Do the dishes. Take the kids to the park so she can rest. Spend some quality time with her. Be uh, gentle and kind to her. Don't ever demean her compliment her take a walk with her grow in your own walk with the lord it's so very important listen to her say you're sorry when you ought to do so defend her to others support her show her affection without expecting anything in return be sensitive to her needs look for ways to bless her those are just a few thoughts the point is this does your wife really feel valued and honored by you peter goes on to tell us why we must dwell with our wives in understanding why And why we must honor her. Why? Because the wife is the weaker vessel. What? What does that mean? The wife is the weaker vessel. Well, the word weaker was used of priceless, fragile China. And here, when Peter calls the wife the weaker vessel, his point is not that the wife is inferior uh, to her husband in any way. We already know that. But his point is that she's physically weaker and in need of protection, provision, and strength from her husband. See, Women are not intellectually weaker than men, not at all. And women are not emotionally weaker than men, not at all. Different, yes, but not weaker. And women are not morally or spiritually weaker than men either, no. However, they are physically weaker and man is called to recognize that and to employ his strength in compensating for that. What's the point? Men, don't run roughshod over your wives, which many non-Christians do and sadly even some so-called Christians Don't do that. Don't intimidate your wife because you're bigger and stronger than her. Never do that. Getting in her face, getting physical, never do that. Never. Rather, do the opposite. Protect her. Provide for her. Be a man. Realize that your wife is more tender and delicate than you are, and she should be regarded and treated with a special kindness and attention. Hey, I'm glad my wife isn't stronger than me so glad. I'm glad she looks different than me. I'm glad she's more tender than me. Thank you. I need to realize that awesome difference and respond accordingly like a godly man should respond. Godly husbands recognize this difference and as godly leaders, they will use this truth in a way that will strengthen their marriage and that will show love to their wives. Is that true of you? Look what Peter says next. Husbands, They're to dwell with their wives with understanding and they're to give honor to the wife as a weaker vessel. And then look what Peter adds. As being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Think about that. You and your wife are heirs together of the grace of life, speaking of eternal life. He's talking to Christian spouses here. A godly husband realizes that his spouse is not only his wife, but also his sister in Christ. And again, while we have different roles within marriage, and while men may be stronger physically than women, look, we are still equal in value before God, and we will be treated equal in value in eternity. Wayne Grudem says, this verse reminds husbands that even though they've been given great authority within marriage, their wives are still equal to them in spiritual privilege and eternal importance for they are joint heirs. And so we find that this verse contains a very important truth in regards to the female sex. See, under every other system of religion but the Christian system, women have been regarded as inferior to men. But of course, Christianity is different, (laughs) of course. Instead, the Bible teaches that women are in every way equal to men. See, women are entitled to all the hopes and promises that Christianity imparts. Women are redeemed as men are. Women have the same privileges and comforts as men. And women will be elevated to the same rank and privileges in heaven. And in this context, this is radical stuff coming from Peter here, but it's true. And husbands need to remember this. Your wife is your sister in Christ. And she should be treated with dignity. David Helm said, after all, they are like you, the very bride of Christ. They too have been bought with his blood. They also are the majestic ones in whom is his delight. Therefore, men, take care. Your charge is of eternal value and is priceless in the sight of God. So Peter reminds husbands that their wives are precious to God. Think about that. And therefore, they should be treated as such. That's a deep thought right there. My wife is a child of God. And he loves her more than I could ever love her. And he expects me to treat her in a Christ-centered, God-exalting way. And to not do that is not only sin against my wife, but it also greatly offends my God. Think about that. By the way, if your wife isn't saved and isn't an heir, your call remains the same, right? Who knows how God might use you to be the means of saving her and of her then becoming an heir. See, So when God looks down and sees your behavior as a husband towards your wife, does he approve? Are you treating her like a fellow heir of heaven, child of God, sister in Christ, ought to be treated? That's a very serious thing to him, and it should be a serious thing to you. Think about this. Husbands, God cares about how you treat your wife, and God is always watching, and you will answer to him someday for that. Peter goes on and gives one important reason for doing this as husbands. Leading her well, living with understanding, and giving her honor. Look, so that your prayers won't be hindered. Here we see that when husbands aren't living up to their calling, when they don't dwell with their wives in an understanding way, when they don't honor their wife and treat her as a fellow heir, look, their prayers will indeed be hindered. And that is a very, very serious thing. In the Bible, prayer is powerful, right? Our sovereign God uses the prayers of his people in mighty ways, and prayer is powerful. 
In the Bible, we find that Abraham prayed, Lot prayed, Jacob prayed, Moses prayed, Samson prayed, Samuel prayed, Solomon prayed, Elijah prayed, Elisha prayed, Ezra prayed, Job prayed, David, Daniel, the apostles, Paul, the early church, they all prayed. And every great man that I've ever read about in church history who's an example to me of what a man of God ought to look like was a man who was devoted to prayer. Look, Abraham's servant prayed and Rebekah appeared. Jacob wrestled and prayed and Esau's mind was turned from 20 years of revenge. Moses prayed and Amalek was struck. Hannah prayed and Samuel was born. Isaiah and Hezekiah prayed and in 12 hours, 185,000 Assyrians were slain. Elijah prayed and there were three years of drought. He prayed again and then the rains came. Prayer, biblically speaking, prayer is powerful. And the last thing that you want is for your prayers to be hindered. It's like shackling yourself. It's like fighting a battle with your hands tied. It's a huge detriment to your spiritual life to have your prayers hindered. And it's foolish. First, it's foolish to not pray the way you ought. But then it's foolish spiritually to have your prayers hindered by something that doesn't have to be hindering it. But look... When you as a Christian husband aren't doing what you're called to do in your marriage, leading well according to Paul and to Peter, then your prayers are indeed hindered, thwarted, impeded, held back, and encumbered. And that is devastating. I mean, I have a hard enough time as it is fighting this good fight, fighting sin, pleasing God, walking this pilgrim road faithfully, And the last thing I need is my prayers being hindered. But sin hinders prayer, and when a husband refuses to do what God calls him to do in marriage, that is sin, and that has serious ramifications. James 5.16 says, The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, but on the flip side, sin embraced and unrepented of will cause it not to avail much. In Matthew 5.23-24, Jesus said, If therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Why? Because how can you really worship God when there's something wrong between you and your fellow Christian brother or sister? Well, in similar fashion, when the relationship between the husband and wife is strained, When there's sin there, it most definitely hinders our communion and fellowship with God because there's sin there. And so we find that the way we treat others, especially the way we treat our number one earthly relationship, it has direct impact on how God responds to our prayers. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, God will not hear. Why should he? Note that Peter isn't talking about the husband who's seeking to obey the Lord in his life and in these areas and who's still in process because guess what? We're all in process, right? It's talking about the husband who's just willfully not obeying the Lord here. Not living with his wife in an understanding way. He doesn't doesn't really care, not even trying. Not honoring her, not really seeking to to do these things. That is sin. And nothing hinders prayer like sin in the heart. See, If you listen to the devil, God won't listen to you. And for God to accept our prayers while we are delighting in sin, that would make God himself the God of hypocrites, and he is not the God of hypocrites. So husbands, how you treat your wife has real spiritual ramifications. We honor God when we honor our wives. 
And how we husbands are in marriage matters greatly to God. It matters greatly to God. Husbands, we are the heads and we're called to lead our wives. We are called to lead our families. We're called to lead like Christ leads. We're called to lead well by living with our wives in an understanding way, by honoring our wives, and by treating our wives as fellow heirs of the grace of life because this matters to you and this matters to God. And this has great benefits in this life as well when we rise to this great calling for us. Lord, help us to rise to the challenge for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, O Lord, to rise to the challenge. Help us, O Lord, in our marriages, wives and husbands. And I pray that instead of feeling overwhelmed and beaten down, I pray that we would feel challenged and that we would rise to the challenge, that we would be reminded of what we need to be reminded of, and that we would stand up and be the men that we are called to be. Men of God who lead well for your glory. Lord, help us to have men like that. Then I pray we would encourage one another in these things for your glory. Help us to not settle for mediocrity. Help us to rise to the challenge because we are indeed spirit-filled. We have your word. We have one another to encourage each other. Help us. Give us strength. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.